and gifts. I began this series, the week of Ascension Sunday, if you recall, and it's carried us through a few important transitional holidays in the life of the church, holidays like Pentecost and Trinity Sunday, among others. It has carried us out of the season that we call Eastertide and into the season that we call the season after Pentecost or ordinary time. As you probably noticed, we have had a change in our colors in the sanctuary here. We have gone from the color white of Easter to the color green of Easter uh, Pentecost, the season after Pentecost. Last week, we recognized our students and graduates as they transition beyond the school year and in the case of our graduates into a bigger and better season of life, hopefully. And I myself am very, very grateful to you here in this congregation for your encouragement and your support in helping me to transition into this new thing called ordination that I'm still figuring out. And I'm loving my new stole and we're still figuring out a place in the parsonage to hang our beautiful new quilt. Maybe there are some of our recent graduates out there who've already been snuggling up in their new graduation blankets watching a movie. Certainly. Certainly, there must be many, many people out there who've just received graduation gifts of all different kinds. Transitions often come with gifts that give us a head start for the next leg of our journey, don't they? And as we've been seeing through this series, I hope those are themes that the celebrations and scripture readings for this time of year call our attention to as well. Themes of significant transitions, as well as the gifts that go along with them to make those transitions possible as well as fruitful. I began this series on the week of ascension because, as I said just a few weeks ago, the ascension presented a bit of a problem and a worry for those early followers of Christ, didn't it? At the ascension, Jesus is going away. The pillar, the leader of this new fledgling movement, just going away. And the obvious question that it would certainly have raised in the minds of those earliest Christians must have been, what happens now? How is this going to work without him physically here, present in the flesh? among us? Those are questions that, to my mind, were so perfectly captured in that picture we spent some time looking at a few weeks ago on the ascension. That picture at dusk, if you remember it, with the disciples and shadowed relief in the foreground and the sun in the background, in the picture of an eye. That picture captured so well, I think, both the fear of what happens now, as well as the assurance of his abiding presence with us. But then, the very next week on Pentecost, the anxiety of that transition starts to open up towards an answer to those questions. Because with the gift of the Holy Spirit, the church begins to discover God's ongoing presence, not only still with us, but on the inside of us, animating our lives, enabling God's work in us. 
providing a voice and languages to go to those far off parts of the world that, that we've been called to go. On Pentecost, we begin to see not only the answer to an anxiety, but growth and transition towards a deeper and richer and more fulfilling way with God. The God who is not only for us, but who desires to take up residence in us as well. And today, as I close this series, reflecting on this scripture for today from Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, I want you to hear what Paul is saying here as one further set of answers to the big question of this series. As one further response to that question raised at the ascension, what are we going to do now? When we look again at that part of 1 Corinthians 12 that we heard just a few moments ago, you probably notice that its main theme is about gifts, the spiritual gifts that are found in the church. It mentions there utterances of wisdom and knowledge, faith, miracles, healing, prophecy, discernment, tongues and their interpretation, gifts that were relevant to the first century church in Corinth and the ways that at that time they went about discerning how God was speaking in their life of worship. Now, a number of those gifts that he mentions there may be familiar to you, like faith and healing and prophecy, which, with utterances of wisdom, may just be different kinds of preaching. And a number of them, though, may not be so familiar. There's reference there to, to tongues and their interpretation, for example. And what he's mentioning there is not really the same thing as what you find in, in some churches today or, or revivals of some kind where people just kind of utter out gibberish. What Paul is referring to there is a kind of gift where someone would speak in an unfamiliar tongue, perhaps another language, perhaps not, and someone else would interpret for the body. And in fact, he says a little later on in 1 Corinthians there in chapter 14 that those sorts of utterances really do need to be accompanied by interpretation for them to be useful and profitable for the church. But look, when we look at this chapter today, just look at what a broad variety of gifts that he mentions. This is a church full to overflowing with gifts of different sorts. And notice that a lot of these gifts that he mentions have a lot to do with the ways of speaking and building up the body through words. That's especially important to notice here in 1 Corinthians because the whole reason that he's even bringing up this subject of gifts is that apparently, because there were so many of them and so many different kinds of them, the church was fighting and competing amongst themselves over whose were better and whose would win out. It created a climate of spiritual competition of a sort. And the main point that Paul is trying to drive home here is that all of their gifts come from one and the same God. Manifestations of the work of one and the same spirit in their corporate life. That's an important point in its own right, isn't it? How often do we take gifts that were meant for all of us and turn them in 
to an occasion for competition. Someone gives us a shared gift and we wrestle over it rather than allow it to be a joint blessing that unites us and brings us together. How often has that story been told in the history of the church? But backing up from the immediate circumstances of this letter, just look with me at all of these gifts. Just look at them all. And there are more, many, many more. Have you ever thought about that term, gifts, and what it means when we refer to to spiritual gifts? The word for gifts in Greek that Paul uses here is charismaton. Charismaton, which is where we get our word in English, charismatic. Charismaton. But in Greek, the root of that word, charismaton, is the word charis. Do you hear it? Charis, the first part of the word charismaton, charis, charismaton. Does anyone know what the word charis means? Anyone? Anyone? Charis is the Greek word that means grace. Grace. That's a big New Testament word, isn't it? Grace. Grace is the unmerited, undeserved, no way to earn it, love and favor of God. The unmerited, let me say it again, undeserved, no way to earn it, love and favor of God. Grace is unmerited because it has nothing to do with who you are and whether or not you deserve it. And has everything, everything to do with who God is and what and who God has chosen to be for us. Now think about that with me. That connection between grace, on the one hand, charis, and gifts, on the other, charismaton. They have a little something to do with one another, don't they? Grace and gifts. Gifts are things that we give purely out of love and appreciation, out of a desire to, to give a person joy and to see them prosper, aren't they? Gifts are not things that we give because they're owed, not things that we give because somehow we've been coerced into giving them. Giving a gift that's owed, well, that's called payment, isn't it? No one gives the electric company a gift when they pay their bill, do they? Gifts are things that are given by someone who wants to show that they love someone else, and the receiver of the gift is the person who is just blessed by that love, aren't they? Giving gifts is a pretty good way, I think, to put on display the truest meaning of grace. Grace and gifts, they go hand in hand. Now, the reason that's important is because we today tend to use the word gifted don't we? As though it were more of a compliment to the receiver than it is to the giver. Boy, that person is really gifted, aren't they? That's usually more of a way of appreciating a person's skills and talents more than it is a statement of praise for the one who has endowed them with those gifts and talents, isn't it? In my elementary school growing up, they had what they called a gifted program for the smart kids. Anyone have a gifted program in your school going up or know know of one? 
had a gifted program, but strangely, they called it a gifted program, and that was usually uh, talked about in a way that was more a compliment to these kids and to their capacities than it was to the one who gave them those capacities. But when Paul talks here about the Spirit's gifts to the church, he really does mean gifts. He wants to call their attention back to the fact that all of this rich and amazing giftedness among them comes from somewhere. Comes from one common source in the great gift giver. That is God. God has given them something. God has graced their life by showering upon them gift upon gift that they can see in one another and appreciate for the building up of the church, as he says. Church, God has given you something. Lots of things, in fact. Great things. Things that you're just supposed to receive and thank God for and use. Use them because they're gifts. God wants to bless you, bless the church, bless the world through you and the gifts that God has given. Don't hide them away thinking you have to be modest about them. They're God's gifts to the church and the world. And don't brag about them either, though, as though they were your hard-won, innate talents rather than God's gifts. Rather than... Rather, just claim them and use them. Celebrate them. Give thanks for them. That is how God is going to keep on living on through us and continue to carry out Christ's work in the world after he's ascended. That is the answer to Ascension's big question. God's gifts in you for our life and for the sake of this world. We, the church, have been through a a transition, you might say. And God's gifts are so God can continue to carry out his work in the world through the church. Each and every one of us has to claim the gift that is in us and live into it as much as we can. You, too, are part of what God still wants to create and do in the world. God is still lavishing gifts because that's just who God is as the God of grace. We can learn to receive them. We can learn to to make room for them in one another together and give praise to God together for the things in me and the things in you and the things in us all that carries all of this forward and gives us cause for praise to the one who is still doing such creative and surprising things in our midst. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.